All right, so as I said before, we're in the second week now of this fall series, teaching and small group series called Follow. And I want you to focus in for a moment on the word follow. And by the way, you've got sermon notes if you'd like to follow along, all the verses and some notes, extra notes. So pull those out, have them ready. The word follow. Of course, you can't follow somebody, right, and stay where you are. Think about that for a minute. And, and Jesus is saying, look, I want you to follow me. He's calling us to follow. Now, how many followers of Jesus do we have in the room? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, we have some followers of Jesus here. That means we are on a journey, right? We're following Jesus. Where does he lead us? Where does he want us to go as his followers? Well, quite simply, when you really analyze the teachings of Jesus, he always leads us on a journey to the same place. And that journey leads us back to his desire to make more disciples. You see, we, we have to think of ourselves as, well, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I raise my hand. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, that means that I am being led that my ministry ultimately has to be making more disciples. Now, the only problem with that, and I have this tension in my life, is how do you do that? Anybody feel it? I mean, how do you actually make a disciple? I mean, how is it possible that I could be used by God to have a, an influence and an impact on people for eternity? And that's what we want to talk about. We're going to talk about some practices that Jesus has, these 12 or seven practices that he used with his 12 disciples. And we'll try to learn from Jesus. So as we begin today, would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth, the truth that's in your, your word, the Bible. We thank you about the, for the clarity, Lord, for the clarity of the mission and purpose for our lives that we see in your teaching. And we pray today that you would help each of us to become followers that are, know their destination, the destination of their journey to make disciples, Lord, that we could participate in what you think is the most important thing on this earth. And that's bringing people, bringing people who are far away from God to you. But Father, let that work be done in our hearts today as we study your word, Father. Bless our time together. Empower these moments with your spirit that our hearts would be open and our minds would be clear and hear what you have to say to each of us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, do you guys know what this is? Anybody remember these? <laughs> Got a drawer full of them, right? Who uses money anymore anyway, right? I mean, when was the last time you paid something, paid for something with cash? It, it, less and less, and especially these little coins, they almost become an annoyance. You know, the dime is the smallest coin that we have here in, in America. It's the smallest one. It's, not, it's worth more than the penny, but it's smaller than the penny. And, you know, you have these sayings like, you know, stop on a dime, right? That means you can stop really quickly. Or turn on a dime, meaning you can make a sharp turn. Right? Or get off the dime. Right? That means you don't have to move very far, but move, okay? You're sitting still too long. Because if you're standing on a dime, you don't have to move very far. So you have all these ideas around the dime, and it's because it's so small. And it's oftentimes it's used to compare the size of another item. You know, they'll put something next to a diamond. I just saw this a couple weeks ago. It's just crazy. They built a whole computer, and guess what? It's smaller than a dime. A whole computer, all in one, it's there. 
And so technology often is, is amazing. And you know, when you look at, you look at uh, who's on the dime, you know, anybody know who that is? Uh-oh, we failed American history. <laughs> FDR, right? It's Roosevelt. And he's there. And, but I want you to look closely. I'm going to compare something, the size of something that is so powerful, so amazing. And I want to show you how small it is. There it is, growing right out of his ear. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. A little, little smaller than a jelly bean. It's a seed. You talk about amazing technology, God has designed incredible technology and packaged it in this little tiny seed. And it's that seed, that kind of seed, that size of seed that grew this tree. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> it's true. You don't, you don't have to take my word for it. There's something called Wikipedia. Google it, okay? It's true. This is General Sherman. General Sherman is a redwood tree out in California, 250 feet tall. Imagine that, 27 feet at the base, 37 feet in circumference. It's 2,500 years old, right? It weighs, it weighs 4 million tons. It's the largest tree on this planet. And it all came from a little tiny seed. Here's what I want you to know. Is that when God wants to do something big, he can start very small. He can start in your life, my life, the life of this church, when he started the movement of Christianity through Christ. When God wants to do something big, you know what? He can start very small. In fact, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he started Christianity. And it started really small, and we'll see the beginning of that today, but look at it today. It is the largest religious movement in the, in the world. It's bigger than anything else, and it continues to grow. And, and it's just an amazing thing, because when God wants to do something big, he can start very small. And we want to talk about that a little bit today. We want to see how Jesus, starting all by himself as a human being, God in the flesh, he started this movement that we call Christianity. We're going to take a look at the book of Mark, several places in the first six chapters, just verses. We're going to highlight them. Let's look at this one. This is the beginning of the book of Mark. This is the story. This is it, it tells us how Jesus began. He announced his presence. He came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. Let's just stop there. What does he mean by that? You see, the time, God had been working for thousands of years to bring Jesus into this world. God incarnate, God in the flesh for a reason, for a purpose. And the time was right, and now it's time for Jesus to begin. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God about anyway? What are we talking about? He's saying he's a king. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is simply this. We have a broken relationship with God because of sin. Do you know that? We can't be in a relationship with God as he rigidly intended because of the problem of sin. And the kingdom of God that Jesus is referring to is the kingdom of restoration of that relationship where we get to have that relationship with God again because 
of what Jesus does, not because of what we do. And he says to the people, anybody that would listen, he says, repent. What does that that mean? Repent. And basically, for us, even today, it simply means that I have a problem of sin that I can't solve, that has separated me from the king. But Jesus says, believe in the gospel, the good news. Believe in me because I can can heal that relationship. And he begins his ministry that way. Now, his message, you may not know this, his message was not always well received (laughs) because he's upsetting the entire religious world, saying, you know what, everything you've been doing to this point, everything, none of that really counts now because this kingdom is at hand, my kingdom. I have come as God has designed to fix the problem of sin. And guess what? He, he, like I said, he was not well received. Now, you know what? Jesus didn't have any organization behind him. He's all alone. Carpenter's son. He didn't have a website. He didn't have a Facebook page. He didn't have a PR firm. How in the world did he start something that got so big? He started small. And so what he did, he went to Galilee, and he he went around the Sea of Galilee, and he talked to fishermen, he said, hey, follow me. Follow me. I want you to follow me. And they're going, yeah, well, maybe. Who are you again? And he says, follow me. And he talks to the disciples, the the, the guys that will be the disciples, the fishermen. And, you know, they were the ones that had been rejected by the religious leaders already. We learned about that last week. They They were not famous or powerful or strong or rich or influential, powerful leaders. They were none of that. They were average guys. You could say they had small lives, and and they're going, what's this guy talking about? He wants us to follow him. What does he want us to do? Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. It's so important. I I want you to be fishers of men. He says, I will make you. You follow me. You come with me, and I will make you into something that you've never even imagined, something you can't even imagine at this point. And they're going, fishers and men? By the way, the Greek word there, men, is mankind, people. Men and women. And so the disciples are going, well, you know, we know how to fish for fish. You know, we do that with a net, you know? And it's like, what do you want us to do, Jesus? You want to just like throw this net on top of people? No. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way you're going to fish. Said instead of using this net that would capture fish, he says, I want, I, want to, I want to make you more loving, more compassionate. And when I do that, you will become the net. You'll capture people. They'll get wrapped up in your life. They'll get captured by your love and intertwined with your life. And that's the way a disciple is made. It's all based upon relationships. And so I'm going to have to teach you first, disciples, how to have those relationships with other people so that you can be the net. You can capture people with your lives. The disciples' response, well, they had to give up their nets. They laid them down. They left them behind. And they followed Jesus. And the lesson for you and for me today is you cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus. He's always calling us to go. 
And that requires movement and sacrifice and priorities. And he's calling all of us to this task of discipleship and disciple making. And it requires, we can't stay where we are. We have to go with him. So let's see how the disciples did that. How they, after they left their nets, where did they go? What did they do? You know, I'm sure that they were thinking, okay, first thing, we're all going to go to seminary, right? (laughs) No. Jesus says, you're not going to go to school now. We're not going to send you away like we do professional church workers today. Say, you get trained up, then you can be the disciple makers. We're just going to hang out together. That's what he does with the disciples for a whole year. He just hangs out. And he does certain things. Now, he wants to teach them some things. And through the first year, he teaches them three important things so they'd understand the kingdom of God. Number one, he teaches them that it's about forgiveness of sins. Why is that so important? Because that's the kingdom of God. It's about forgiveness of sins. That's period. That's it. It's about the fact that we cannot work our way to heaven. There is no such thing as a good person. If you believe that being a good person will get you to heaven, that you, you know, that compared to everybody else, you're okay. You've missed the message of the Bible. Okay? It won't do. We all have a sin problem. Remember, that's the whole nature of the kingdom. Jesus solves it. So he teaches that lesson, and he says, guess what? What I want you to do is to be a net. I want you to go out to people who are really the lowest of the low, the sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes. I want you to go to them and be a net and capture them with my love. It's manifest in your heart. They're all going, oh, okay, so let's get going. Let's get started. When are we going to do this? He said, one more lesson. You know all those religious traditions that people get hung up with? You know, that you got to go to church, or you got to do this, or go that, that. I mean, going to church is a good thing. But, you know, all these things that we think somehow impress God, he says, those don't count anymore. Because what I want is a relationship with you so you can have a relationship with others and you will come together as a church, but you do it because of what I've done for you, not to impress. And he's saying those religious rules of the day, that's not what this is about. And so they go, okay, okay, we got it. A year later, Jesus calls them to a mountainside and says this. He appointed the 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. Now they've already been with him. So what's Jesus doing? He said, here's my starting lineup, these 12 guys. These are the guys that I'm going to start with. These are the guys I'm going to pour my life into even more than I have already. And he set them aside. And he says, look, look, what's what's his strategy? So that they might be with him. That's the training, to be with Jesus. No school, no classes, just to be with Jesus, to know who he is. Now, we have a saying that we use around here all the time, and you guys, I know you know it, all right? I've said it a thousand times. I'm going to say it one more time. You say it with me if you know it. You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. That's what Jesus was teaching. He said, you cannot do this work unless you have these relationships because they're life-giving, transformative relationships. It's no surprise because we're created for this as human beings. You know, back in Genesis, this is when God created us as people, he said, we were made in his image. Does that mean we look like God, you know? No, it's not the physical appearance. 
We are made in his image. God has this relational part of him, his desire to be connected to his creation. We were made to connect with God in relationship. And we were made to connect in relationship to one another, male and female, and then people generally. We are made to be in community with one another. It's such an important part of faith. And yet in our world today, you know, we substitute the real relationships with an online one. They're not bad, but they're not complete. So Jesus is saying, come on in and be a part of my small group. That's what he was saying to his disciples, the apostles. Now, how many of you guys would go to a, to a small group that was led by Jesus? Anybody? Yeah, you probably would, right? You're thinking, yeah, I mean, Jesus is a leader, you know, and it's like, I joined a, a small group in church, but, you know, Jesus isn't the leader, right? But we have people who are leaders. And by the way, how many, any group leaders in here today? Raise your hands if you are. Got a few? All right, let's just thank our group leaders for leading groups and bless them as they start this journey of this year. So the, the small group, you know, that Jesus was leading is meant to show us something, though, because here's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, look, he said, wherever there are two or more gathered, I am with you. You want to experience Jesus' presence his, you want to, in a way that you've never experienced it? Join a small group. Whenever two or more are gathered together, Jesus is there. And he's leading that group. So yeah, Jesus leads our small group. You should know that about Trinity small groups. Jesus leads them. So that we have this relationship, but we don't have the relationship without a destination. And so Jesus finishes this statement. He says he, that he might send them out. Because we are gathered together in community that we can be sent into the world. And he says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to do that for them. I'm going, to, I'm going to equip them and strengthen them. I'm going to build a relationship with them. Then I'm going to send them out. And the disciples said, yeah, let's go. He says, not yet. You're not ready. You're not ready yet. <laughs> and so he spends a whole other year hanging out with them. Do you see Jesus' priority of relationship? He spends another year teaching them. And there's one parable, Mark chapter 4. You can read it on your own. It's a fascinating parable because it describes what it means, how the kingdom of God actually works in our hearts. It's called the parable of the four soils. And it says this. It says that our hearts are the soil. We all have, we're all dirt, you know. Our hearts are the soil. God's word is the seed. And he plants that seed, that tiny seed of faith in us because God can do big things starting with something small. And that seed starts to grow, and in some people it grows to the point where, in fact, it produces incredible fruit. And he teaches them that parable. He says, I want you to understand that's what it's all about. You're seed planters. You go out in relationships, and every time you're talking to people and working with people, plant seeds. And, and oh, by the way, you're going to go with my authority. And he's demonstrating. Jesus doesn't just say he's the truth. He then demonstrates that he overcomes sickness, illness, and death. He shows his command over nature. Okay? He's not just the truth. He's proven it. A lot of people say, well, yeah, but that's just the Bible. You know, can you really believe those miracles? Listen, there's one miracle that you can't dispute. It's the resurrection of Christ. Study that sometime. There's no way that that didn't happen. 
And so Jesus is demonstrating his authority. So his preaching and authority, those two things go together because about a year later, finally, the disciples get sent. It's a midterm exam for the disciples. They're given this assignment, and they're to go out two by two, and they're to take nothing with them. They're going to have Jesus' authority, and they've got his message. They know the kingdom. They know how to plant seed. And they have to go with nothing. And so they're going out two by two because that's, again, in relationship. They have the support and encouragement of another person. We always need other people around us. And they go out and they begin this, this mission, this midterm exam. You think about it, you know, there were only 12 of them, and, and they went out two by two, so six teams. How many visits do they make? You know, was it 12, 24, 48? I don't know. But it wasn't very big. Because when God wants to do something big, he can start really small. He starts really small. And they took nothing with them except uh, sandals and a, uh, not even a change of clothes. They don't even get to, like, you know, carry a little suitcase. No. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is what we have to do as disciples. We have to trust him to go on mission. And that was part of the exam. And they did it. And they, and they went out and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to houses where people are and build relationships. As you have seen me build relationships with you, I want you to build relationships with people. Some people will reject you. He says, don't worry about it. It's the nature of the kingdom. Some people hear the gospel and reject it. Some people hear the gospel and say, no way it could be true. Some people hear the gospel and say, well, well what about this or that or whatever? And Jesus says, you can't do anything about that. All you can do is plant the seed. You plant it. And it can grow, because when God wants to do something big, he can start really small with the word of God in a heart. And so they went, and they learned, and they were challenged, and they were tested, and they came back going, whoa, did you see what we just did? And what happened to their faith? It got bigger. It grew, because they followed Jesus to do, not just to sit This is the nature of small groups, that we would gather together in relationship with Christ at the center and encourage and support and care with one another, care for one another in a way that that we would grow in our faith, that God would take small seeds of faith, his word in our hearts, plant them regularly, deeply, continually, and that sooner or later they take root and they begin to grow. That's why we say this. You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. Back in 1983, Susan and I moved to Chicago. I was uh, employed at the time by the Amico Corporation, the big oil company. I worked downtown in the corporate headquarters. And we came here from Kansas City, and we came from a church where we were part of our first small groups, and we were on fire. As a result of that experience in Kansas City, we came here, we got a house, we started looking for a church. We went to every church in like a 10-mile radius. You know why we landed at Trinity? Because in 1983, they were doing a bold experiment called Little Church. They had small groups. And we knew that if we were going to grow, we needed the Word of God planted in that environment regularly. And so we came here. And it's continued. And the seeds have been planted in my life. And some of you know I left Amico. 25 years ago, I left Amico because God was calling. And I had to follow. And I couldn't stay where I was. 
and follow where he was leading me. So I left and I came here. I'm just telling you that faith is so important, but it has to be nurtured in that community. And I don't know where God is calling you, but I know where you can find out. Join a small group. Start letting the word of God be planted in your heart and taking steps of faith to follow him. It works. Recent study done, they asked people who attended church regularly, they said, you know, do you go to a small group or not? And, and basically, they found out that they're 30%, people who go to a group are 30% more likely to do all these things. Think about that. What would it be like if our church had, was 30% more active in all these areas? How would it change us personally? How would it change this church? How would it change our community? Just think. We've got to be in a group for that to happen. See, the early church, the early church was, was really tuned in to this idea of groups. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Because that's what we need. We need to have those seeds planted and be stirred up and nurtured and cared for and, and encouraged to take steps. But he says, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit. See, some of us don't do that. I know that because I know how many people are signed up for our groups. Some of us have never experienced that. They're neglecting this habit. And I just want to say, please don't do that. This is what you need, and I know it's hard, and it's, it's, it is going to require you to drop a net or two in your life to be a part of it. It means the rearranging and prioritization. Make the effort. It's worth it. It's been worth it for me. It's been worth it for my wife, our kids. I mean, I could give you testimonies. I have a lot of friends here who would say the same thing. Let me just go back to those trees again for a minute as we close. You know, uh, redwoods, they grow really tall. You would, you know, like you could just envision the root system they have to have, right? Because to, to be standing in a hurricane or earthquake or flood or whatever catastrophe, you'd have to have like this big tap root, right? You just imagine how strong their roots are. Guess what? They don't have that root. They don't. The deepest root for these trees is about 10 feet deep. And how in the world do they stand? How do they survive? How in the world can they um, still exist for you know, 2,500 years? You know how they do it? Instead of those roots going deep, they go out to each other and they intertwine. They grow in groves. And not only do they intertwine, they actually fuse and they share nutrients. If there's one that needs more, they get it. See, this is the nature of a small group, arms locked together, encouraging, supporting, caring for one another, taking steps of faith as the seed of God is planted and begins to grow. I want you to be a redwood someday. I want you to grow to wherever God is leading you, but you're not going to make it unless you've got some other redwoods around you who are ready to intertwine roots with yours and help you grow in your faith. I pray that every person here would experience that amazing gift of community. Discipleship skill number one is it takes relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of relationship, the power that we have to be in relationship with you, and we receive that love and grace, and we extend it to other people. We intertwine our lives
so that we can grow together, that we could be nets and capture others so they might experience even more. And I pray, Father, that you would just let that happen in the lives of people. Help us to drop our nets. Whatever net we need to let go of, that we could be in a group. And that you could work in that group powerfully. That you could lead us, Father, to where you want us to go. I pray that that would be so in the lives of every person here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.